You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So just before Christmas break started for my daughter's school, one of her friends from her class had a birthday party. And um, it was a birthday party of a style that I hadn't, hadn't been to before, where they rented out one of the theaters at uh, one of the local Cinemark theaters and just had several of her classmates and, and other friends in to watch a showing of Encanto, um, which is the latest Disney movie. And then right after that happened, after that birthday party, Becca loved the movie. And then right after that happened, Encanto came out on Disney+. And so over Christmas break, we watched the movie several times. And then we found the soundtrack on Amazon Music. And so over the last several weeks, the soundtrack to Encanto has been playing on repeat in our household, um, which is actually not a bad thing. It's a really good soundtrack. But if you haven't seen this movie yet, It is a story about a family that is given a number of miraculous gifts. So there's one person in the family who is super strong. There is another person who is effortlessly graceful. There's another who can heal any wound by feeding you her baked goods, um, which is wonderful. I want someone else to have that gift (laughs) to be able to give to me. And... But despite all of these amazing gifts within the family, not all is really going well in the family. First of all, the main character, Mirabelle, when she was, came of age to receive her gift, which happened when she was five years old, got nothing. She went up, the whole ceremony that everybody in the family goes through, and nothing happened for her. And she's trying to understand what her place in the family is when she doesn't have the gifts that everyone else has. And then the people who do have the gifts, especially those who have the more spectacular gifts, feel themselves to be under tremendous pressure to be perfect because they have all these gifts and the family is, has this image in the community of these people who have the wonderful gifts and they think that they can't crack, they can't show any weakness, they have to do everything perfectly. Last week, we started a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and we said that we would be talking about spiritual gifts this week. And I feel like, from the conversations that I have had, there are a number of people who fear that gifts will be kind of like the gifts given in Encanto. There's a fear, perhaps, that maybe gifts are going to be handed out to everybody in this family, in the church, and I won't really have any. And therefore, if I don't get the gifts that everyone else is getting, does that mean that I really belong and that I fit in the family? And then there's a feeling for others that if they identify what their spiritual gifts are and are called to serve and use them, that now they have to be perfect. That if they're given gifts by God for the purpose of service, that means that they can't make any mistakes. They can't stumble. They They have to be perfect because they have been given a gift. And so I think it's really important right up front that as we begin to talk about what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, that we remember that these are gifts that are given by God and that they are good. There's no double-edged nature of the gifts of the Holy Spirit where they empower us in one way but place a burden on us in another. They are given for our freedom, that we might love well, that we might know that we are loved. And within the church, Everyone who is a Christian, 
everyone who follows after Christ, everyone who seeks to conform their life to his will, is given gifts. No one is left out or passed over. In fact, I think that understanding the significance of this becomes more clear when we look at why Paul wrote about spiritual gifts in the first place. Why was he telling the Corinthians about these gifts of being empowered by the Spirit? Some of us, I think, feel when we think about the miraculous gifts that were given to the early church and we look back at the acts of the apostles and see the ways that they moved with power and the the explosive growth of the gospel, we feel like perhaps the early church got gifts because they were more in touch, that they knew what the gospel was all about, that they had power that we don't have access to now. But that's an idealization of the early church that doesn't actually fit the evidence that's given to us. In fact, if you look at the letter to the Corinthians, you actually find that the church in Corinth was pretty much a mess. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, right after his greeting that he gives in every one of his letters, and he has his sort of epistolary thanksgiving, there's the traditional paragraph of thanksgiving that happens right at the beginning of the letters, jumps right into the problems that were evident in the church of Corinth. In particular, they were quarreling with one another. And Paul says, what is this? What is going on? I hear that there might even be divisions among you. And he points to this as this competitiveness that's going on as people are trying to lift themselves up and tear others down as they're arguing over who has the right interpretation of the gospel. They're arguing over who's been perhaps baptized by Paul or who's been baptized by Apollos. Who has the the best connection, the the cleanest pedigree of, of the gospel? And they're arguing with one another. And Paul says, what is this? The truth is that the culture in Corinth had infected the church there. The culture in Corinth is actually really a lot like our own day. They were a very prosperous town because they're right on a narrow isthmus Um, in Greece, where in order to get from one side of Greece to the other, you could go sail all the way down around the Cape on the southern tip of Greece, or you could take your boat, come to Corinth, and there was a road that went straight through, and they could put it on rollers and just kind of roll it across, and you'd avoid some dangerous areas and some storms. Now there's a canal there. They didn't quite have the technology to, to get the canal built at that time, but they could just take the ship across, and it was a much safer way to get across, and that made Corinth a place that was prosperous with trade. And because they were prosperous with trade, there were a lot of people from different backgrounds that came there and mixed there, and there was a lot of competition in Corinth. They liked sports. They had the the games that were second only to the Olympics that were happening right there in Corinth. There is evidence that different artists would do their work and then try to like promote their own work and use the sort of social networks that they could develop among people to be able to promote themselves in the hopes of catching the interest of a wealthy patron. And people then would use this same idea of competition among their religion. There were many gods that were in Corinth, and so people would actually come and and say, I have the best one, and it's going to lift me up above you. It's going to give me more success in business, And it's going to tear you down. In fact, there's evidence all throughout the the Corinth that people would actually write on tablets curses to their gods to try to curse their enemies, their rivals in business or love or in getting attention from patrons. And so they were trying to use their religion to lift themselves up and to curse others. And as they did this, 
there were a couple of buzzwords that became important to the church in Corinth and to the people of Corinth. Part of it was wisdom. They would talk about wisdom in a way that says, I am wise, and therefore you should listen to me and honor me. They would talk about knowledge in the same way. That I know more than you do. I have perhaps a secret knowledge that unlocks the way that things really work. And if you listen to me and lift me up to a high status, then perhaps I can lead you to in the proper way. These are the kinds of things that were going on in Corinth, and they sound quite a lot like the, the competition that goes on in the public sphere in our own culture. The social networks we have include things like Facebook and Instagram. Didn't have those in the first century AD, but they still were trying to promote themselves, trying to hide the parts of themselves that perhaps were weak so that they could make themselves appear strong and worthy of honor and glory. So when Paul starts talking about to the people of Corinth, throughout the entire letter that he's talking about, he's trying to redefine some words for them that they have been using in their common language. Where they have talked about wisdom, he talks about that the wisdom of the world is actually folly. The true wisdom is found in the cross of Christ, which to the world is just ridiculous. True wisdom is found not in elevating oneself up, but in choosing a path of suffering and love for the sake of others. When Paul talks about knowledge, he tells them, those of you who think you have knowledge actually don't know anything at all. And then also there's this language, this word spiritual. It was seen as a good thing to be spiritual in Corinth. And so he's trying to remind them what it actually means to be spiritual. And he, right at the end of chapter 2, he redefines that to say basically spiritual means when we're talking in the church that you have been given the mind of Christ, that you are Christ-like in your nature. It's not some secret thing you have that you hoard that lifts you up. Instead, it is something that leads you to a path of humility and grace. When we get to chapter 12 and Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts, his main concern is that no one thinks that the gifts are given to elevate one person over another. And that's true whether you're talking about within the church or even that the gifts are given to the church to somehow make us better than others. In fact, the first few verses of chapter 12 are a little bit confusing. They've, different commentators have tried to understand what these actually mean. Um, here in chapter 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And that word uninformed is with a, a Greek word that basically means without knowledge. So again, I think he's making a little bit of a pun on the fact that they've claimed to have knowledge. And he's like, here, now I'm going to give you some knowledge about this gift of, of spiritual gifts. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of options for how we can interpret this. One of the more traditional ways to interpret this um, has been that it is talking about a discernment between different kinds of spirits or perhaps even uh, prophetic utterances that were going on. That There were some people that were in a, in a frenzy and were saying somewhere in the middle of that, Jesus is accursed. 
But the Greek there gives us another option that a, a commentator that I read actually made pretty convincing. Which, so the Greek there, the word is just Jesus and curse next to each other. There's no verb there, which means you kind of have to su su supply an understood verb from context, and you have to understand what it's talking about. And it's possible that instead of saying Jesus is accursed, that in this verse here at the beginning, it actually means something along the lines of Jesus grants a curse. This would fit in the fact... <clears throat> Excuse me, this would fit in with the fact that in Corinth, in the archaeological digs, they found those tablets I was mentioning earlier, where people would write curses that were for deities to, to try to curse their rivals. And it could be that people were trying to use their connection with Jesus to try to curse others in order to get ahead, which would fit in with the rest of the, the book of Corinthians and what it's talking about, what it means to be spiritual, to say that Paul's main concern when they get here to talking about spiritual gifts is to understand they are not given to you to get yourself ahead. They're not given to you to make yourselves better and more lifted up. They're not giving you to tear down your rivals. The spiritual gifts are given instead to those who freely enter into service to Jesus, which explains then why he says you would say Jesus is Lord. This isn't just some sort of abstract proclamation of the eternal reign of God over all things. This is a statement of my own belief that Jesus is Lord and therefore I am his servant. That when I'm coming to talk about gifts, I understand that I'm given gifts as a servant. That this is the fundamental thing that we look at when we look at spiritual gifts, is I am a servant of Christ. And therefore, as happened often in the ancient world, the, the, the one who is Lord, the one who is the patron, could give his benefits to those who needed them so that they could use them to bring his own honor and glory. The gifts are given to us not for our glory, but for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ. And this has to be our fundamental understanding of the spiritual gifts. As we move into his further explanation of what it looks like about to look at the spiritual gifts, we see that he, that same theme continued. Verse 4 says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul is telling them right here at the beginning, all of the gifts, first of all, have the same source. They all come from God. And he has a Trinitarian formula here. They're from the same spirit. They're from the same Lord. They're from the same God. And he's reminding them all the gifts have the same source. Therefore, one is not better than the other. They are all gifts given freely. And he's reminding them that they are all gifts that are given for service. No matter how small it may seem, no matter how spectacular it may seem, the gifts are given for the service of others. They're given so that we can act in service to God. And when you look at what gifts he actually talks about, it comes back to those words that he's been redefining for the Corinthians all along. The very first gifts that he mentions in verse 7 or verse 8 to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. This is 
given so that they can remember that the knowledge and the wisdom that they have been talking about, that they talk about possessing, if they have anything at all in the means of knowledge or wisdom, it comes from God, not from themselves. And therefore, it has the same source, and it has the same use. It is not to be used to build oneself up. It is to be used for the service of others, because that is what the gift is for. As he goes on and gives his list, I think that there are, um, looking at the list of gifts, I'll, I'll read it out again in just a moment, but I want to stop here and say I think that too often people get caught up in the lists of gifts in the Bible, as if this is supposed to be some exhaustive list of possible gifts that you can have. In fact, when I was younger, I, I mean, I'm sure many of you have done things like this as well, they, um, at times I took spiritual gifts inventories. And the only ones that were possibilities were the ones that were mentioned somewhere in the New Testament. And so you'd go through and you'd fill out all the bubbles and you'd talk about your, kind of what you've done and you kind of take a multiple choice test. At the end, it gives you an assessment and says, well, this is probably your gift. And there can be some good in that. There can be some ways that it uncovers things that perhaps that we didn't know that we had or that we did. But I think that there is also a narrow-mindedness in that where it limits what the gifts might be. And there's nowhere in this text or anywhere else in the Bible that somehow we're supposed to think of these gifts as an exhaustive list of possibilities, that these are the things that God gives out as spiritual gifts, and the other things that God gives us are not that. In fact, I think it's very likely, given the fact that he starts with knowledge and wisdom in this list, that the list in this case are gifts that were perhaps manifested and experienced in the church in Corinth. And Paul is at pains to remind them that these gifts that you have, no matter what they are, are given from the same God, and they are given for the one common cause of service to others. That is the main thing we can take away from this passage where Paul presents these. Because when you look at this, look at how he structures this list of gifts. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to the other, another, the, knowledge, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by the one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. The words that we hear repeated in this are the same Spirit, the one and the same Spirit. They're given by the one Spirit. In fact, you see this parallelism that starts out and it feels like Paul just gets tired of writing the same phrase over and over again and just decides to lump it all together so that we can remember the gifts are given by the one Spirit and they are all given so that we are to be serving one another. Again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the concern that we have when we come to talk about spiritual gifts. Not can we identify which one you have off of the list, but can you recognize that God has given you gifts? Because it's very clear from this that to everyone in the church, God has given gifts. And He is giving you those gifts not for your own benefit, but so that you may serve others with joy and freedom. The gifts that he gives us are not for our own honor. They're not to lift us up. They are to allow us to serve. And that's true whatever that may be. Some of you have gifts where you can teach. God has given you that gift so that you can build up the body. Some of you have the gift of playing music. 
That's a wonderful gift that you've been given that you can share with the body. Some of you have the gifts of a great mind with money. That's a gift that you've been given so that you can share with the body. Some of you have gifts that are of a miraculous nature. Some of you have been gifted with the ability at times to pray for healing and to see it happen. That's a gift that you're given for the body. Others of you have been given training and experience in being able to heal through what the world would call natural means. But that's really a gift given from God as well. And it's given to you for the building up of the body. Some of you pray in tongues. A gift's not for your own benefit. It's for the, gift, the good of the body. It's not to set you apart or to somehow show that you are a deeper Christian or a more real Christian. It's for the sake of others that you've been given the gift. Anytime that we use the gift to try to lift up one group of people over another, we are fundamentally missing the point of what Paul tells us spiritual gifts are for. They are not to distinguish between members of Christ, but to unite us in service to one another. Some of you don't know what your gifts are as spiritual gifts, but you have them. So how do you find out? I think that there are better ways than the inventories. They, they can be helpful at times. I think the best way is just to serve, to step forward in love for others, to think about what you can do for the good of others, for the body, and to see that that's a gift that has been given to you from God. To reframe your thinking, not trying to distinguish between the sort of artificial categories of, of natural talents and spiritual gifts as if one is, is all from God and one is all on you, but to recognize that all that you have been given is from God. All that you have been given is gift. And yes, there is a way in which we have the Spirit that we are empowered for ministry in a new way. I'm not saying that there is no miraculous gifting of the Spirit. There is no anointing that comes upon us. We are to ask for and look for the fullness of the Spirit. But I believe that that comes in a variety of ways. And that any time that we have a gift that has been given to us, if we are walking in a way that is spiritual, if we are understanding that we are walking humbly and receiving from God, if we are understanding that we have been given what we have for the sake of others and using it for the sake of others, that even our natural talents and abilities can in themselves become spiritual gifts as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and serve others. When we ask for the Spirit to be present in our midst, we are not asking primarily for the visible, miraculous gifts of the Spirit. We desire those in the same way that we desire any of the gifts that are given to us. But that's not what we're looking for when we're looking for the Spirit to be active and among us. That's not what is required for us to say that the Spirit is active in me. Sometimes God will give those gifts, and when we do, He does, we give thanks because we know that He's a good gift giver, and therefore He knew that we needed them, and we are to use them for His service. Sometimes God gives us other gifts that are quieter, that are perhaps not as evident or flashy. But if he gives us those gifts, we know that they are given for our service. They're given for our good and for the service of others, and they're given the gifts exactly what we need. 
And what this means is that we can go ask God for the gifts that we need, not of what I need personally, but of what we as a body need. And we trust that because God is the good giver, that he will provide for us what we need for the sake of the body. He will give us exactly what we need. So as a church, let's not be afraid of the gifts of God. Let's not be hesitant to use the gifts that God has given us. Let's not try to put them into compartments and say, well, some people have spectacular gifts and others have have smaller gifts. Instead, let us be a people who remember that the gifts are all from the one God and the gifts are all given for the service of his people, for the building up of his kingdom, for the care for the body of Christ. And let's ask God to reveal to us what gifts he has given us and then use them for service. If we don't take that final step of actually using them for the sake of others, then the gifts that we are given become twisted. They become like the Corinthians, where wisdom is is something that is puffing them up, where knowledge is something that is being used to lift them up above others, instead of receiving them as good gifts from God for the sake of others. I truly believe that God has given us all that we need as the body of Christ. In this body here, he has given us a variety of gifts that are good. Let us use them in joy. Use them in love. Remembering that they all come from the one God. And that they are all given for the sake of the one service. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.